0: hey guys i'm zach and i'm b and we are radio camp half we're a weekly percy jackson read-along podcast i've read the books and i have not well i'm getting there
1: yeah and we talk about mythology and percy jackson
0: and i often get stuff wrong
1: (laughs) but we tell terrible jokes
0: and sometimes good jokes
1: we also make friends along the way This sounds like a 90s Disney movie.
0: Like Halloween Town, which I reference in every episode for no discernible reason.
1: And I talk about my gay horse fan fictions. Even though you shouldn't. (laughs) Well, I'm Zach.
0: I'm P. And we're Radio Camp Half-Blood. And keep staying mortal. Keep staying mortal. Bye. Bye.
1: Welcome to the Duke and Duchess Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 97.
0: 97.
1: 97. Covering chapters 81 through 85 of Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson.
0: And on our next book club, we will be finishing this book. That's right. Huzzah.
1: Turn the page on Words of Radiance.
0: That will be... Right before our very special 100th episode, which is going to be recorded live at Balticon. Balticon 53. 53. Thank you. I couldn't remember the That's number. Right.
1: <laughs> On May 25th at 7 p.m. In between there, we will also be recording a saga podcast as well for the trade paperback number two. So somewhere in episodes 98 and 99 will be a mixture of those two. More to be determined at a later date. So our spoiler policy is that Liz has read these books, has read them multiple times, knows everything going on in the Cosmere. I am a (laughs) cosmurgeon. I have not read these books, and this is my first time through. So I have no idea what's going to happen after these chapters. Therefore, we will remain spoiler-free past Chapter 85 of Words of Radiance.
0: And I can't wait for you to get into the end of this book.
1: Also, I want to be clear, we make no promises about spoilers for Game of Thrones.
0: <laughs> and deepest apologies. I tried to anyone who got spoiled last week. I
1: tried to warn people about as it. We
0: got way off track.
1: <laughs> in the page notes, but I, we should have put something in the actual podcast.
0: And really, no promises for any other series or franchise.: It's
1: really true. Yeah.
0: Darth Vader is Luke's father. Alderon gets blown up.
1: Quoth is a changerine.
0: <laughs> Don't assume we won't spoil it for you.
1: Everything. It's all We'll
0: try. We'll try to do better. That was a tough one last week. Uh we also should mention that we are this is we are podcasting during a sleepover. <sighs> These are the lengths that we will go to. We
1: are very, very brave people.
0: This is, we are in the danger zone.
1: So if our voices sound slightly more muted than in (laughs) in past episodes, it's because we're trying not to rock the boat. Can you hear the hormones? Do not wake the dragon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But enough about us. So
1: this is going to be the quiet, giggly podcast, (laughs) the quiet, giggly sleepover podcast. (laughs)
0: Later, I'm going to try and freeze Chad's underwear.
1: <laughs> Tune to the end of the podcast to hear the story about freezing people's underwear. On with on with the material.
0: Yes, on to the chapters. So we are building up here to the end of a Brandon Sanderson book, which means the Sander Lanch is coming. Sander Lanch. I did not. I can't take credit. That is a... Uh, established fandom terminology but the the series of the the exciting conclusion is is building up how did you feel coming going up to the end of the book
1: i mean i can i can see this the sander lanche is on its way right i can tell and obviously we have some pretty pretty awesome things that happen here we don't get the conclusion there's still lots of things that we don't know what's going to happen yet but we still get an awful lot of stuff happening Including one of the major things I predicted about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will unpack that. You know, I noticed that Brandon Sanderson, of course not, but he's not the only one who follows this style of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, who else follows this style of storytelling? Who wrote one of our favorite movies, oft referenced in the last few episodes, Simon Pegg, in. Mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz and a Mm -hmm. number of other movies where he lays the groundwork of the movie being slightly serious with some humorous parts thrown in. And then by the end of the movie, it's just nonstop, over-the-top avalanche of blood and guts and gore and rubber chickens and pratfalls and total silliness.
0: This is kind of the hot fuzz of fantasy novels.
1: It kind of is.
0: <laughs> I never All noticed the that before. All good. <laughs>
1: Onward with the material.
0: <laughs> it's sleep overnight, you guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sacrifices must be made.
0: All right. Chapter 81 is called The Last Day. The battle against the Parshendi begins. Shalan finishes mapping the plains and discovers where the Oathgate is. Back at the war camp, Kaladin visits Zahel and has an important realization.
1: That sand has to be washed?
0: <laughs> um, we've got a couple of different points of view. It jumps all around, so we can just kind of follow each character's story.
1: Okay. I think mm-hmm. we
0: start off with Dalinar.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and we start off with Dalinar stepping out into the weeping. Okay, so it's was this rainstorm. And of course, he, he refuses an umbrella. Because if his men have to be rained on, then he is going to be rained on. And I'm making fun, but we really see Dalinar shine as a leader here. And we see him, you know, his military expertise and his... His, what has been growing interpersonal skills kind of come together.
1: It's true. I mean, I think that he has like moved on from the Gillette Razor commercial. Yeah. He's going straight into Ford country. <laughs> Ford Ranger F <F-150>. 150. <laughs> the best truck that money can buy. March onto the shattered planes. I don't need no stinking umbrella.
0: But so he steps out without, he, he, does not want the umbrella, and when Royan and Aladar see him, they also step out from under their umbrellas, and everyone's freaked out, okay, because the Parshendi now have glowing red eyes, and they're all just lined up on the opposite plateau, staring at him with their glowing red eyes.
1: I mean, which is creepy.
0: It's creepy. It's a really nice touch. It's 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 a neatly done bit of storytelling to raise attention, and... Aladar and Royon are—they're—they're uh, they're freaked out. Yeah, they're bugging. They're like, "What the hell?" We you know, we thought we were going to kill some parshendi, and, well, and it's just neat how Dalinar yeah. manages each of them.
1: Yeah, and t- to each of their different strengths and personalities, he treats Aladar differently than Royon, who he treats differently than Sabario. So he understands what he needs to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I would agree. I think it's all in all a, a good. This whole section is good evidence of what you know Dalinar's leadership style is, to the point of really a number of these characters, not just Dalinar, making really significant sacrifices to try to work together to end preemptively the uh, void bringers and the desolation.
0: Right. And then we also see the fruit of the way that Dalinar and Kaladin both treated Shen, who's now Relaine, in that now they have Relaine there to help them understand what's going on. And when they bring him out, you know, they were initially planning to wait to attack or to wait to be attacked because tactically that would work better for them. Mm-hmm. They bring him out and he says, I don't know what they're doing, but you cannot let them finish that song because at yep. this point they've started this this song that's kind of ominous, but... He gives them that insight that there's there's something is going to happen if they finish that song. So again, you know, all throughout these books, leadership is a huge theme, what makes a good leader, and we kind of see it in action here.
1: Towards the end of this chapter, we have the beginning of the voice of the Almighty. Right. Once again, from the skies. Isn't he supposed to be
0: dead? Guess we'll find out. I
1: guess we'll find out in chapter 82.
0: I guess we will. But he said, yes, the Almighty speaks at the very end of this chapter and just says, I'm sorry you had to die this way. Oh, shit.
1: Uh, Right? Right.
0: When a voice comes down from the sky, that's pretty much the last thing you wanted to say. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Also here on the Shattered Plains, we have Adolin and a pretty short scene with him, but really sad. Our tax.
1: <laughs> That's I'll a... you. No.
0: <laughs> so Adolin gets the order to attack. He's surprised because he thought they were going to. But it's
1: not the normal not the plan. attack. Yeah, yeah.
0: But he goes ahead and does it right away. His special lightning horse, lightning
1: bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> lightning bolt. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, it's exactly what you're thinking. That's right?
0: Exactly what I was thinking. His horse gets hit by lightning. Really sad. I
1: mean, it, I mean, it could happen to any horse.
0: Not sure blood.
1: The names of these damn horses.
0: Uh complete and total sidebar. But did you notice that our what in
1: our podcast?
0: <laughs> Shh, shush. That our nine-year-old named her stuffed bear Bloodletter. <laughs> that's a, that's a Brandon Sanderson reference, I'd, by the way.
1: I know. I. I did not catch that no.
0: Yes, that is her 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 bear that she has ripped the head off of and turned into a storage device, but its name is Bloodletter. Cuz she and I are listening There's some
1: insight into our family.
0: We're <laughs> are listening to um, Brandon Sanderson's Skyward and that is it's something from that book. So, anyway, sidebar. We have a cool 9-year-old. <laughs> So anyway, shore blood, toasted, fried, so sad.
1: But apparently the only real casualty of the lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt.
0: Well, there are other casualties too, just no one that, you know, has a name. It's a bunch of red shirts basically getting fried. But no, the the lightning doesn't seem to be as effective. Uh, the, The Parshendi don't really seem to be able to control it. Another interesting thing that I actually didn't notice my first couple of times through this book is that is how Adolin's shard plate, and I guess all shard plate, seems to be almost made to fight this form of Parshendi. As the lightning is coming down, you'd think it would be blinding, but Adolin's visor, which he said is normally translucent, actually darkens just in the spots where the lightning is coming down. I was like, well, that's very interesting.
1: Some would call it convenient.
0: Um, I also, you notice that when the Parshendi die, when these new form of Parshendi die, this red lightning spren wiggles out of their chests. So that's horrifying. Yes, exactly. But that's kind of where we leave Adolin. He's he's got a short little section. Uh, We've got Shallan over here in the Shattered Plains as well. She keeps her umbrella because
1: She's not down She's not in a Ford commercial. She's got her wits about her, damn it. Well, and she has paper to keep dry.
0: Exactly. So Shalan basically is she's in the command tent. And what she's doing is she realizes that the the shattered planes are a repeated four quadrant pattern. So she's got one quadrant mapped out. And she's now redrawing the other three to match. And she's not quite sure why. But she just feels like she needs to see the whole of the shattered plane. So that's what she's doing. And I, I feel like it's so cool how she actually realizes where the oath gate is. They have a, a scout comes in and he's kind of standing there dripping on her map and being annoying and he, but he looks down and he says, That one is wrong. And one of the plateaus is not like the others. It doesn't fit the pattern. It's perfectly round. That's right. So she realizes that's where it is. We also Slightly have off center. Pattern and one of the other scholars have a kind of a hilarious interchange where um, she doesn't like Pattern. Oh, she yeah. thinks he's he might be connected to the void spren. And uh, he tells her that, you know, void sprenner uh, that are supposed to be, you know, ugly and, and sickly looking. And maybe she should look in a mirror if she's looking for one.
1: Oh, Pattern, you diva, you.
0: So it's just, it's funny to watch Pattern develop as a character and start to, you know, learn and understand human humor and insults.
1: So, yeah, I thought the section here with Kaladin was pretty interesting when he goes seeking out Zahel. And he goes to the the fighting rounds. I forget, mm-hmm. forget yeah. the name of it. but yeah. uh, And they've purposefully flooded the area by sort of uh, blocking everything in and allowing the weeping to come through and sort of clean the sand. And Brandon Sanderson spends a lot of time talking about this and leading up to it and and Kaladin and Zahel kind of start going back and forth and with Zahel being like why do you think we do this? And and you, you think it's going to sort of lead somewhere, and then when it finally kind of comes down to it, and Kaladin says, well, why do you do it? So hell's like, because it's, it's, like, it's like important stuff. And then they roll on past it, dropping another name for Hoyd in the process, where Kaladin asks if he knows where the king's wit is when he's starting to get frustrated. And he goes, oh, you mean dust?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So we have Hoyd, Wit, and Dust, three names for this character. But ultimately, this is where Kaladin in his conversation with Zahel comes to him and he says, I have this difficult choice to make. What do I do? And Zahel says, you make the choice that allows you to sleep at night, Mm -hmm. the one that you're not going to regret. And that's where Kaladin starts to begin to unpack all this bullshittery he's Mm -hmm. been carrying around Mm -hmm. for this entire book with the king and why it's not cool to kill the king
0: right don't kill the king don't
1: kill the king there's no killing people for the greater good
0: the greater good
1: the greater good
0: so yeah this is definitely a big character moment for kaladin one of the biggest of the book, I would say. And the the whole thing with the arena being turned into a, sort of a, a lake does a couple of interesting things. Primarily for me, when Kaladin leaves the hell, he comes down, he's had a very dissatisfying conversation. And he decides to, what normally would soothe him is to swing a spear around. So he goes out into this arena. The water is like up to his knees. It's got just like a baptismal feel to it him being in the water um, and coming out a different person. And he starts doing the spear forms. He's in this like knee-deep water. So for me, that's just a cool image. And, you know, the symb- the symbolism of being in water, coming out a different person. Mm, okay. and
1: Not something I had thought of. Good observation.
0: And that's when he kind of realizes, well, something's off, you know, that the forms aren't flowing. He keeps dropping the spear and he's arguing with... Yeah, he's got a twisted, maimed leg, man. Right. But he's he's arguing with whoever, his own moral yeah. uh, conscience, you he's know? He's
1: shouting at the sky.
0: You know, and he's, he's like, you know, he's, I get that Elikar's trying, but he's a grabby king, and he would be better if, you know, you ha- we, this needs to happen. And um, he kind of realizes that the, the sergeant who was in charge of Tien and was responsible for Tien's death used the same reasoning. You know, it wasn't Tien's fault that he was a crappy soldier, but he needed to die in order to win the battle. So, you know,
1: that's what happened.
0: That's what happened. And when he realizes that, he realizes that that the king is Dalinar's Tien. And that's that's enough for him. So for me, that's where the the arena being full of water. um, It also gets Zahel slash who we know is Spoiler for Warbreaker. If you haven't read it yet, go like this: la 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 la. Sorry, um, Zahel is Vasher. We've talked about this before. Um, he starts talking about the Pure Lake and how the Pure Lake reminds him of home, and uh, just a couple of little. I you know it's I think it's so interesting to look at these tidbits, but he talks about how the warm water, the calm breezes reminds him of home, and uh, he's and he says, well, why don't don't you go there then? And Zahel says, Well, I can't stand being reminded of home, you idiot. And like <laughs> So something happens there. And then, you know, when later he says, you need to do the thing that helps you sleep at night. That's what I wish I had done. So mm-hmm. for me, that just that's just a, a cool layer of mystery, you know, kind of like piques your curiosity. And one thing that I really love about this series. And on the Stormlight Archive page on Facebook, people were, someone was talking about this a little bit, the the escalation of people's powers, you know, each book things, like both sides seem to get exponentially more powerful. And you just get this sense of like, if there are 10 books, where do we even go from here? Yeah. But there's so many layers. And so I just look forward to seeing Zahel slash Vasher, where his story goes, like what's happened to him between the two stories and where does he go from here?
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. Also, yeah. I mean, the whole being rained on and shouting at the sky is very 1980s, you know, Karate Kid 2.
0: Absolutely. Wet
1: hair plastered to your face.
0: I never asked for this. Practicing his grain kick.
1: With his bad leg. There's only one other comment I have on this chapter, and it's actually not in the chapter at all. It's in the snapter.
0: Yeah, we do need to talk about the snapter I can actually read it or oh great have it written idea. Down. It goes a little something like this: the unmade are a deviation, a flare, a conundrum that may not be worth your time. You cannot help but think of them; they are fascinating, but many are mindless, like the spread of human emotions, only much more nasty. I do believe that a few can think, however.
1: What are your thoughts on that? The Unmade, barely worth mentioning. I don't even know why I bothered to bring them up. But he did bother to bring them up. Mm -hmm. So that's going to mean something. Right. And then we get a little bit more in the Snapter for chapter 82. Correct. Would you like to transition to chapter 82?
0: Let's do it. Chapter 82 is called For Glory Lit. And the Snapter there reads like this. There is one you will watch. Though all of them have some relevance to precognition, Moloch is one of the most powerful in this regard. His touch seeps into a soul as it breaks apart from the body, creating manifestations powered by the spark of death itself. But no, this is a distraction, deviation. Kingship. We must discuss the nature of kingship.
1: So this this follows directly after... The Snapter, we just read in chapter yes. 81. Yes. So making Moloch one of the unmade. Yes. In Taravangian's last chapter, interlude, mm-hmm. he specifically references Moloch, calling him an ancient evil spren. Mm-hmm. So the unmade are spren, mm-hmm. but some sort of a weird mutation of spren, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Yes. And that one that feeds off of the the moment of death is the way I took it? Yes, seeps so,
0: into a soul at the moment of death.
1: And so that could be what's been happening when all these people have these weird death rattle chant type things It's some sort of manifestation of Moloch.
0: Yes.
1: And then he presupposes that there's no intelligence to that. Mm-hmm. But he spends an awful lot of time trying to chase down meaning in these death rattles that people are letting loose
0: right so maybe moloch is not sentient but he seems to bring about some sort of precognition knows the future
1: i mean this is not a mystery we're going to be able to unpack here in this moment
0: exactly just put a pin in that
1: but something important to to point out And again
0: so cool how from the Snapters in the very beginning of the first book, yeah, absolutely, which were these death rattles. How this mystery has been layer by layer revealed.
1: I feel like this might, this series might be the series where the Snapters have more input on the story than anything else I've read. Right. I feel like Dune sort of were the ones to sort of start this pre chapter snippet type thing. Mm-hmm. At least, in, at least in our genre. I don't know of anybody else who was doing it prior to Frank Herbert mm-hmm. and they were more about sort of building background but mm-hmm. I don't think they were really uh, you know necessarily telling you things that were plot relevant in any way.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't think anyone could argue like the crafting of the overall story and world building is just phenomenal in this series. When when you look at how well planned out it was. Oh, yeah. You know, he knew all the things he wanted to reveal and exactly how things were going to play out. Oh, hands
1: down. Yeah, that's absolutely.
0: All right. So chapter 82 for Glory Lit. Kaladin races to save Elokar from the assassins. He finds the king completely pissed, as our British friends would say, (laughs) and manages to evacuate him from his chambers with only a minor stabbing. Unfortunately, before they can escape the palace, Moash and Graves show up, both clad in full shard plate. Meanwhile, Adolin and Dalinar continue the battle with a little help from Navani's new fabrials.
1: And we have more of a conversation with the, quote, almighty, unquote.
0: Indeed. So it's really nice to see Kaladin finally make up his mind here, one way or the other, about what he's going to do.
1: Yeah, and that's my first note. It's it's nice to see him finally doing something proactive and positive. Right. Not something that's just going to be negative and waffling and... Right. ...lying about in your own filth.
0: Though it's not looking good for him. I mean, he's bleeding before he even begins the rescue.
1: Yeah, he's walking on one bad leg and...
0: He's literally bleeding on his way up to the palace yeah before he even gets there (laughs) before he even gets there but really this is such an iconic like hero's journey moment you know here he's the character he's at his absolute worst um he's completely outmatched and he has to make a decision to fight anyway to do what's right and i love you know at one point he um has he's starting this he thinks about how it doesn't feel easier like he's made the decision but you would think that he would feel lighter he still feels like muddy he's completely drained he's not It's
1: because he's bleeding to death
0: right but i just i love that i feel like it's so realistic you know even though he's made the decision he's not like he doesn't have this instantaneous like surge of whatever, I'm going to lift the car no. off my wounded. No, he's like. No.
1: no, it still sucks. It's still hard. The other thing I noted is that on his way up to the palace, he prays.
0: Yes. And then
1: he's like, oh, am I going to rely on on prayer? Is that our, our plan here? He's but, like, oh, I prayed again, yeah. But it's interesting because when we go back and we think about all the really significant supernatural moments that occur what happened on the plains at the end of the way of kings Mm -hmm. and what happened before he was out there bouncing around in the storm there's always prayers or somebody burning uh, glyphs or there's Mm -hmm. always something like that that happens preceding one of these huge revelatory moments
0: Mm -hmm. very true That's very true, you know, but then and then finally you see when he actually commits in action, like he finally like Rochambeau's the guard.
1: Yeah. Hey, is that something on your shoe?
0: (laughs) Oh, not punch.
1: You got you got a little something on your uh, shirt there, buddy.
0: (laughs) But that's kind of like the moment where he he gets the momentum to just start the boulder rolling downhill. Well, and, hill.
1: yeah, exactly. At that point, he's committed. There's no there's no backing
0: out now. But isn't that, like, so true? I th- just think that's so true about life. Like, making a decision to do something is important, but it's not until you actually commit with your actions that yeah. sometimes you get that sense of, like, okay, I'm actually doing this.
1: Making a decision is one thing. Doing it is a whole other thing.
0: And so when... You know, when he gets there and he actually gets Elakar, he says something that's so important, I think. He says, Fleet kept running. He's talking about the story, Mm -hmm. you know. Going back to what him, Yeah, You know, he couldn't win, but he kept running. And when the storm caught him, it didn't matter that he died because he'd run for all he had. And it made me think about the contrast between this character and Seth. You know, Seth basically forfeited his... Moral decision making process. Yeah, he just, he just he gave just it all gave, up to somebody else. Yep. Exactly. He's mm-hmm. like, someone else can decide what the right thing to do is. Somebody
1: put a label on me, therefore I am it, therefore I'm not responsible for killing
0: everybody. Exactly. And I just think it speaks to the importance of following your own moral compass. You know, I mean, you look at like even Sadius, who's the worst, but even he's better off than Seth.
1: Oh, agree. You know, yeah. because he
0: he at least is has some sort of agency and is acting according to what he thinks is the right thing to do.
1: It might be a twisted, weird
0: I mean he's wrong. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean his moral compass is just totally jacked. But he's consistent with it.
1: But at least yeah, it points in one direction. Right? I mean, it might be down, but
0: So I just I think that's like that's just an important theme in this book is the importance of following your own conscience.
1: Let's talk about Dalinar now. In Chapter 82. Oh, yes. Because Dalinar, at the end of Chapter 81, he had his little, I wish there was something I could do for you, says right. the Almighty. Oh, well, no. Now, <laughs> I'm sorry you're all going to die.
0: You're going to die.
1: I've brought you all out here to suffer. <laughs> so so now, he actually starts to get into that conversation. But it turns out, and, and Dalinar says what I what I was thinking at the end of chapter 81, I thought you were dead. (laughs) And he says, Oh, you're not talking to the almighty. You're talking to the one left behind, which Mm -hmm. leads me to believe when I first read it, that this is the abandoned herald from the prologue in the way of Kings,
0: Hmm. the
1: one who was left behind. We find out later that that may not be the case. But the quote says, I'm the one left behind, the voice said. It wasn't exactly as he'd heard in his visions. This voice had a depth to it, a density. I'm the sliver of him that remains. I saw his corpse. I saw him die when Odium murdered him. And I, I fled. To continue as I always have, the peace of God left in this world, the winds that men must feel.
0: Yeah, so what do you think about that? I
1: think it's all confusing as hell. It's a big, giant ball of confusion. <laughs> I'm the one who was left behind. I'm not Honor. I'm not Tanavest. Vest. Is it the Stormfather? But the Stormfather's a spren. But but I, 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 I have so many of these sort of metaphysical things that are being dropped, but no real explanation for any of them. And these just little drips and drabs and drips and drabs that now I... F- Feel like my whole book is covered in creme. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Who's a spren? Who's not a spren? Who's a spren unmade? Who's a herald? Who's a god? Who's not a god? And one of the things I think that we're I'm starting to sense from this whole Cosmere thing is that there are just layers and layers of these sort of non-human spiritual things all the people we hear in the books arguing and, you know, was it raced or... Race. Race, and none of them are actually like the almighty God. Right. Or the devil or what have you. They're all things that sort of exist between God and humans, like these different layers of whatever the hell's going on but it's all just very messy
0: well you're on book 2 of a 10 pa- 10 book i mean it's messy series. to to me right. i'm
1: not saying that i'm not saying there's not thought or reason behind it i'm just saying right now it's a giant bowl of spaghetti
0: oh absolutely yeah i mean there's definitely this and then there's the all the stuff with race and these they talk about these shards These other people that race murder. The Stormfather says that he's a sliver, which I guess is smaller than a shard. A shard. Oh,
1: okay. So this is the Stormfather.
0: I mean, the face in the sky that talks, hasn't that always been the Stormfather? Well,
1: did he say he saw a face? I thought it was just a voice. But there's no high storm, so maybe that's why you don't see the voice, the face.
0: But doesn't he say he's sending a high storm? He does, Yeah to wash your bodies away. I mean that, it's pretty metal. the
1: the best I can do it's for you is to dispose of your corpse after you
0: die. Not what you want to hear a voice from this guy. I, I
1: really uh, you know, I I kind of don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I suppose that this was the that would be my supposition as well.
0: Mhm.
1: More spaghetti. mm mm-hmm.
0: Mhm. Yeah, so Navani gets to be a little bit of a badass on the battlefield as well. Yeah, getting that's her right. fabrials that suck moisture from the air—they
1: do, allowing them to deploy archers. indeed which allows them, which is I really think the thing. Not that not that the battle in the in this section really turns the way of the Alethi, but this is the thing that stops them from just absolutely being destroyed right wholesale in the first you know couple of hours.
0: I have to say, I love the moment where Dalinar says to Navani, I need to know that you're safe in the command tent. And she goes, well, pretend I'm there then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 83 is called Time's Illusion. Shalan and Renarin make their way to the Oath Gate. Adolin fights Eshonai. Dalinar gets stitched up like a damn badass and bitches out the Stormfather. Kaladin prepares to face Moash. It's
1: a very interstitial chapter
0: indeed so not, let's,
1: not meaning that things don't happen mm-hmm. you know i think the fight with I is the you know the, right one of the significant things that happens and it's cool to read
0: right but yeah we got a lot of building up to something important's about to happen but it can't happen just too quickly not that would make it yet. too easy yeah. yeah so we've got renarin and shalon
1: it's friday night after all
0: the excellent adventures Second or third time that someone has mentioned Renarin not wearing his spectacles.
1: Mm, actually so I Shallan missed that. Shallan kind of points
0: yeah. that out. And I think earlier in the book either Dalinar or Kaladin notices oh he's not wearing them. They think he's trying to look cool. Whatever. But Shallan notices this that he's not wearing his glasses.
1: So this is like Renarin's Stefan or Kel moment. I- I missed it. You never watched Family Matters?
0: I mean, a long time ago.
1: So you remember Urkel? Yeah. Well, when he took off his glasses, he became his alter ego, Stefan Urkel.
0: I don't remember that. It's been a long time.
1: (laughs) Well, clearly we've got to go find some Family Matters. (laughs) You can freshen up, Duchess.
0: I guess I need to.
1: Listen, he's going to be macking on all the biddies.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Shallan still finds him creepy and whiny.
1: It's a bad combination. Bad combination. That is not going to win you a lot of dances at prom.
0: <laughs> Poor Renarin. Definitely is going to have to go to the prom with his cousin. For sure. Um, but he notices that the wind is blowing the wrong way.
1: He does, Yes.
0: So, yeah, Renarin, I I just love that not... I love some of the -the out-of-the-box characters that we get in this book, you know?
1: It seems obvious to me that Renarin is being built up to be, you know, the guy you don't expect, but who's going to end up being a major hero.
0: And I think he's... We've talked about this before. He's written as someone who has, um, like, a high-functioning autism spectrum or, or that mm-hmm. kind of issue. Um, we, we've seen a lot of little hints, the way he's always fiddling with certain things, the way characters seem to take him as not being quite right. There's something mm-hmm. a little off about him. The way he's
1: always pestering the coach to put him in and let him play running back.
0: Stuff like that. But Listen, it's cool He's that-
1: Rudy, and all he wants to do is play for Notre Dame. Yeah. You really have to watch more 80s television. I,
0: I, I understand <laughs> the Rudy reference. I've, I've seen it quite a bunch. It's
1: just not funny.
0: It's not jiving with the point I was trying to make. But, <laughs> but it's sleepover weekend. We're up to our elbows and M&Ms and, and <laughs> angst.
1: I may have had too much sugar. Please resume your point.
0: So Renarin and Shalon are able to um, make their way to the plateau where the Oath Gate is, and they talk about how the Oath Gate is something that wouldn't have been would not have been hidden. Um, one of the scholars thinks that that it, you know they're looking for something that would have been secret, and they talk about how the Vorin right of travel which is given to foreign citizens of sufficient rank, is based on this policy that the the Radiants had that all borders should be open at all mm-hmm. times. And I just thought that was an interesting little example, again, of how the ideals that this society was built on have gotten so twisted since the recreants, yeah, since absolutely. the loss of their leadership.
1: It's done the exact opposite in this regard. But no, I agree. It's a good point that, it would not have been their intention to hide the oath gate it would have been something they would have featured and made prominent they also go through is in this chapter and the next one i might be getting this slightly wrong where they talk about the idea of the pattern sort of breaking
0: yeah it's this one
1: and and what, you know how you would have had this thing that would have been perfectly circular uh, and if you broke it out from there the pattern would radiate radiate out from there
0: and that's something that Renarin points out. And and again, kind of I really like this character because he is someone who other characters don't see as being quite right, but he's also someone who notices the things that other people don't notice. Well, the other and has just this sort of atypical hero strengths and abilities. So while all this is going on, Adolin is making his way He's hacking his way through rocks that he now knows are buildings.
1: Yes. yep. Yeah. He cuts his way into a building.
0: And he is able to take the plateau that he was sent to capture. And mainly that's because that plateau is covered by these, these singing Parshendi who kind of are not even fighting back. He just mows them down.
1: Trying to get to the end of the song, man.
0: But he notices that he doesn't have the thrill that he usually has. No. And, uh, but before he can ruminate too much on that, he gets attacked by a Shonai.
1: Correct, yes. And I just can't help but think that the Parshendi would have won if they had not made their theme song in Agata Davida. De Vita. Right. If they could have just gotten to the end of the song more quickly, but no, there had to be movements in the other part, an 18-minute long drum <laughs> solo. Like, it's just bad planning. Mm-hmm.
0: So Dalinar gets wounded, in this chapter, not badly, but he goes back and he gets some stitches and this
1: Tells the surgeon, gives him the what fur.
0: He's so bad. He's so badass the surgeon's like, How do you even move this shoulder? And he says, Training.
1: <laughs> this shoulder was made by Ford.
0: <laughs> exactly. But his in the his last conversation with the Stormfather or the Almighty but this is the conversation where it really seems to strongly indicate that this is the storm father, because he is saying they're they're calling for a storm. But that's my opposite and deadly. And he says, so I will send a storm of cleansing to wash, yeah, your, to wash away. your
1: bodies away.
0: And then he says, I have to go. A daughter is disobeying. He says, hark,
1: I am called. Right. A daughter disobeys. You will see no further visions, child of honor. This is the
0: end. Yes, that is what he says.
1: Almost as though it was Eshenai. But it wasn't Eshenai.
0: It was not.
1: It was Eshenai's sister all along. No. Who was it then?
0: It was Syl in the next chapter. Ah. I couldn't tell if you were joking.
1: No, I wasn't joking. I know that Syl has a fight. I did not realize that was the same Stormfather. Spaghetti. Spaghetti, man. I think in the back of my head somewhere I knew that but I just wasn't piecing it together. Yeah. In the snapter for this chapter we have another another noodle in the bowl of spaghetti mentioned, ancient of stones. Yes. So just and this is not from the same paragraph from the diagram. This is from something different, but yet, yet again just another sort of ancient title pulled out of nowhere that I'm sure it's going to mean something, but we have nothing to link it to. Right. Nothing to link it to at this stage.
0: Chapter 84 is called The One Who Saves. Shallan and Renarin work to open the Oath Gate. Adolin defeats Ashonai, but he's immediately confronted by the assassin in white. Kaladin gets his powers back, and it is bad donkey. Mm. Right? Bad donkey. It's an exciting chapter.
1: So look, can we talk about the Snapter? Yeah. I'm not decoding some cipher. (laughs) I'm not doing it.
0: I don't, I, I have, there's nothing that I've read to indicate that it's an actual cipher. I think this is just kind of adding a layer of how convoluted and complex the diagram is. So, yes, if you don't immediately remember, this snapter is just a string of numbers. Although listeners who are maybe more in the know, if there is anything to these numbers, please throw it at us. We would love to know. But no, I wouldn't read too much into it.
1: I just don't have the time to sit down and try to break it. Right. I just don't have the time. I have a job, damn it. Mm -hmm. I like these books, but there's there's a point where you're going too far. So let's talk some more about Renarin. Yes, let's. So Renarin has a shard blade, and he, like his father, Mm -hmm. and so many other people, we start to notice feels uncomfortable when holding it. Mm -hmm. That it's starting to have the same sort of thing. Right again, foreshadowing that he is going to be some sort of knight's radiant as more of these powers start to unfold. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The other thing I noticed that I thought was interesting was that just like Pattern, when Pattern was inside. The wagon, but the the weepings began from inside, he was like, It's coming. Right. Well, in this chapter, they've sort of found their way inside of the Oath Gate. They're inside mm-hmm. and Renarin says, It's coming, mm-hmm. meaning the other high storm coming from the other, the the evil high storm. Yes. The high storm that knows the knowledge of good and evil. And he he's able to tell it's coming from inside. So what is that sort of power that allows Renarin to be able to perceive this that other people can't perceive?
0: We don't know yet.
1: So again, more more to come about Renarin. So in this side of this uh place that they they find, there's all this great art in these ten areas that represent the different kingdoms in Roshar. But they also find this plate Mm -hmm. that appears to be made of the same metal that shard blades are made out of. Mm -hmm. And it seems to look like a keyhole. It it seems like somebody would try to insert their shard blade into this hole. Right. And then the hole reacts, right? (laughs) Right. It's accepting the blade. put some other innuendos in there.
0: hand motion (laughs) going on there.
1: But nothing happens. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe it's because Renarin doesn't know what he's doing. Perhaps she's just a frigid bitch. I don't (laughs) know. Or maybe they should try an honor blade. He's
0: new at this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the shard blade goes in, just sits there. Nothing happens.
0: So, Shalon does what you do in that situation. Goes to get his mother. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously.
1: So, it seems to me that they should, I don't know, perhaps try a, an honor blade.
0: Maybe. I don't know. You'll have to keep reading, Dukes.
1: I'll have to. I'll get to.
0: So, meanwhile, Adolin is battling Eshonai. Again with the hand motions, nice.
1: But these are these are motions
0: of conflict. I, hey, you know I have fenced you before. That's In true. In Full gear.
1: That's true. You
0: kicked my ass. Only because you have weird long arms. <laughs>
1: my, my arms are normal. I am twenty five percent orangutan.
0: <laughs> weird arms and a giant head. He's right. <laughs> Just the way I like him.
1: <laughs> Harry back. Uh, so yeah, so Aiden shoves Esh and I off a cliff. He does. He recognizes Merry bike the,
0: ride cliff. We know, <laughs> we know. We know. We his know stance. who Adelin is going to cliff.
1: So that's one taken out of the mix. <laughs> so is she dead?
0: Got to keep reading, Dukes.
1: I guess. I guess we'll have to find I'm out.
0: Read the end of the book.
1: But it doesn't matter. He's all happy that ah, I killed a she- uh, Esh and I. He turns around and then there's Seth staring at
0: like, him. Like it couldn't get any like, worse like
1: yeah this is the, i'm trying to think of what's a good example it's like beating you know what you think is the boss only to turn around and find out that the mega boss is right is right in the next room right so exciting. why in the world is seth here
0: why do you think he's there
1: i know he's there to kill dalton right, right? <laughs> but
0: oh Adeline doesn't know
1: that No well no I didn't know it. I mean oh. well, not that I didn't know, but it was just a, it was a surprise right I was not expecting in this moment when all these other things were happening for the confounding variable to arrive but right there he is. I should have known better
0: Now were you expecting what happens in the next section to happen?
1: No, I was not. I mean, well, I was well, well. We'll talk about the Kaladin stuff when we get to the Kaladin stuff. Oh, that's, parts of it—that's the next part.
0: Parts of it I was expecting. Kaladin stuff. Did parts you have any I more to talk expecting. about with the Shattered Plains? E-
1: nope.
0: Let's talk about Kaladin. So Kaladin gets the snot beat out of him.
1: Gets the ever-loving shit kicked out of him. Mm-hmm. But then it's okay. Because he finds the words. He find the words. The words. Syl returns and she says, Kaladin, say the words.
0: Say my name, Bastion.
1: <laughs> and he does.
0: He does, and they're good words.
1: And they're good words.
0: And then she said I mean, when Syl comes and says, Kaladin, stretch forth thy hand, it just every time I get I got goosebumps just now just saying it. It's one of my favorite parts of the book.
1: The part where she turns all misty and all of a sudden he has a shard blade in his hands. I don't know. It felt a little cheesy.
0: No, she doesn't turn misty and then all of a sudden he has a shard blade. She turns into the shard blade.
1: Okay, that's what I thought I read. She is
0: the shard blade. She
1: is the shard blade. Check.
0: Do you get that now?
1: I get it now. I thought that's what I read and I was like, no. That's not what
0: I read. She is the shard blade. She
1: is the shard blade. He said the words, now she's a shard blade.
0: That's the science of magic.
1: (laughs) That's where they come from. Yeah. So are all honor blades?
0: All shard blades are spren.
1: Hence why they have these gems trapped in the hilts of them
0: only the ones that were found after the recreants.
1: Ah, because they don't That have... is
0: why Shallan's shard blade is different.
1: That's what makes them honor blades.
0: It's not an honor blade. Oh. Shallan's shard blade is pattern.
1: Oh.
0: Maybe I shouldn't have spilled that and let you figure it out. But, I mean, well, no, at I, this point you figure it out.
1: I didn't know. I didn't... I thought Shallan's shard blade was an honor blade. You're telling me there's two different types of shard blades.
0: The honor blades are the swords that the heralds, heralds had. Yeah, I, I They had were that. not shard blades. They were not what the radiance had.
1: Okay, it makes more sense because I'm like, why does why does this honor blade materialize out of nowhere?
0: No, the radiance okay. have had spren that would turn into shard blades. The
1: spren turn into the shard blades. Got it. Okay, cool. I did not realize.
0: Oh. Maybe I I shouldn't have laid all that. that
1: I only read this section like three times.
0: No, Sill turns into the chart. I thought that's what I read, but I
1: just, I was like, no, that can't be right. Yeah. (laughs) I I outsmarted myself. But the words are interesting because why is it that like saying the words makes this you know what is it about the mechanics of it right because more i think than just about any other fantasy author i know brandon sanderson cares greatly about the mechanics of the magic in his world right you know he gets into excruciating detail about how the magic works Which is interesting because the words on the surface sort of seem like this, I say these magic words and then everything changes, right? Mm -hmm. What is it about the words? Everything else has a a, more of a grounding that you can kind of break down Mm -hmm. into something real in the world. Stormlight comes from, you know, the light comes from the storms, it's generated, all this. But the words don't seem to have anything like that at all. But we know that the spren are like, or in some way, some manifestation of spirit. And it seems like the words are some sort of oath. So it seems like the magic system, at least as it relates to the radiance, is based on people making an oath to do what they're called to do. And hence the callings in voranism, the idea that you're supposed to pursue, you know, one attribute starts to make more sense. You know, if you look at the words as uh, this Knight's Radiant or potential Knight's Radiant, making a bond to a spren, having some sort of calling that's placed upon him to adhere to to a set of principles, and then, you know, exclaiming this oath that they will do as such is kind of where all this magic culminates.
0: Right. And but
1: I have sworn to lay off chocolate and meant it so many times. And yet <laughs> n- the weight has not just disappeared.
0: It's just not, you don't have a spread.
1: I'm not living in Roshar, apparently.
0: Right. But what's interesting is that the words that Kaladin finds are something that um, is necessary for his progression as a wind runner, but not necessarily if he was another kind of Knights Radiant. So Mm -hmm. only certain orders need to continue to find words. Okay, so you had the Heralds, right? They came to Roshar. They had these powers. They would help men fight the Voidbringers. Yep. Right? But what ended up happening was on one of the the time periods that the Heralds weren't there, the Spren got together with humans and found out that if they made this bond— That they would, the humans would get powers, the Spren would get sentience. They started doing these things that mimicked what the Heralds could do. Yep. Mm -hmm. The Heralds weren't even a part of that. And the Heralds and the Honor Blades are kind of like, they're kind of like a separate thing.
1: But it's interesting to me because what we know about the Heralds and what's so critical about them is that they broke their oath. Right. That they were supposed to do this thing be it right, be it wrong, they were supposed to suffer, apparently, according to the pro, uh, prologue in A Way of The Way of Kings, and they broke that oath. Right. And that's what has led to all these things happening. Mm-hmm. So oaths are clearly important.
0: Well, not only that, but the recreance is the, the radiance breaking their oath. Correct, yeah. Which led to all kinds of badness.
1: Yeah, plus it's the title of the next book.
0: Oathbringer, bringer very important stuff clearly so kaladin is you know he's here he's getting ready to fight moash he's got the snot beat out of him but he still stands up and says you know his words are i'm going to protect even those i hate as long as it is right
1: even if he's a chad
0: even if he's a total chad i'm still not gonna let you just kill him
1: you can't just can't just kill him, man. A collar can be unpopped.
0: Exactly. But then it's like this this you know, this totally badass returning of his powers, There's
1: light everywhere. He still
0: turns into a shard blade. He explodes with light. This like ice crystals form behind him in the shape of wings. I mean, yeah, this does pretty, not get boring. That cool was pretty cool. That.
1: Like it's I mean that is definitely some video game stuff.
0: And then it, it's badass enough that he doesn't actually even have to fight anyone. <laughs> Graves and Moash just pretty much run away.
1: Moash runs like the six-fingered man.
0: He absolutely turns and runs like the six-fingered man. He
1: just looks at him, turns, runs full speed. Yeah, he's
0: seen what Kaladin can do. He's, like, he's not going to up with that. And Graves <laughs> also runs away. But before that, he he kind of spills some...
1: I'm a bad bond, guy. I must pontificate. Bon villain
0: Mo- Bond villain style.
1: Sharks with freaking laser beams.
0: But what he says is, you know, it's too late. He says the diagram spoke of this. Diagram capital D, Mm -hmm. which we know what it is now. We missed it completely. We focused on making certain you were separated from Dalinar and not on what our actions might push you to become. Now, we know that the diagram, the people who follow the diagram, were dedicated to not allowing the Night's Radiant to return. They were, they were out to get them. You know, on the outset, that just seems like such a bad guy thing to do. Like, ah, the good guys are coming back. We've got to twirl our <laughs> mustaches and make sure they don't. But also knowing what we do about this this kind of Cold War-style escalation between the listeners and the, the Spren. Mm-hmm. The Spren are bringing back the Night's Radiant. The listeners are like, oh, the Night's Radiant are back. We need to start... You know, we need to get our evil spread on. Yeah, it's
1: bigger and bigger weapons for the war.
0: You kind of understand why the diagram may be said to that. But unfortunately, nobody can really explain that or what's going on. So they're just going to continue to be the bad guys here. But um, when he says that, Kaladin realizes that he's been separated from Dalinar on purpose. And that doesn't mean anything good
1: says, oh, no, I must get a ticket for JetBlue. First class. Fly my ass out to the center of the Shattered Plains. So the whole Graves thing is interesting. Can we talk about that and unpack that a little bit more? Yeah. So he is referencing the diagram, which, so he's working, again, for a Taravangian. Right. So Terravangian, we know, has gone out of his way to try to assassinate Dalinar. So it seems like Graves is, so like he sent Seth to go kill Dalinar. Right. Graves to kill Elicar. Yes. It's interesting that he wouldn't have just sent Seth to kill them both. However, it seems like the whole Graves thing was never really about Elicar. It seems like it was about Kaladin and trying to distract Kaladin Mm -hmm. the whole time. That's the only thing I can...
0: Yeah, that's entirely possible. I can figure.
1: But didn't really seem to know about Kaladin. No. He did seem to say, look out for those who can heal themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: or who sh- who survive when they should not, which Kaladin clearly is. So clearly there was information in the diagram about him or about people like him.
0: Right. And who knows whether Graves was operating as sort of an independent cell. We don't know how much Correct. Yeah, we communication haven't. they had.
1: I can't tell if I'm putting something together or if I'm being incredibly daft
0: mm-hmm. and I just
1: haven't recognized this already. But it seems to me, isn't that also the same thing that the Ghost Bloods are trying to do? Is to stop the Night's Radiant from coming?
0: Well, I think that the what Shalon said at what it looked like the Ghostbloods were doing was actually no, what she said Amaram seemed to be doing was actively trying to bring the void bringers back.
1: Oh, correct. Okay. Well, that's what. Am- okay, so that's what Amaram was doing. The Ghostbloods right. were trying to stop that from happening,
0: or they were trying or at least to trying to
1: spy on him,
0: figure out what he knew and what Dalinar knew.
1: But in the in those initial conversations we had, like when Shalon went down into you know three floors below the ground in right. the inn. Wasn't there some sort of indication that they were trying, or that her brother was also trying to stop the Knights Radiant from coming back or reforming? Or am I imagining that?
0: I don't think so, yeah. Okay, all right. Gotcha.
1: Let's run like a six-fingered man straight into Chapter 85.
0: Chapter 85 is called Swallowed by the Sky. Things are looking bad on the Shattered Plains. The two storms are converging, and the assassin in white starts fucking shit up. Seth kills Royan when he intervenes to save Dalinar's life, and then sends Dalinar shooting up into the sky to be killed. Dalinar is saved by Kaladin, though, who floats in like a full metal Mary Poppins to <laughs> save the day.
1: <laughs> that is so metal. So metal. I mean, Mary Poppins is the most metal of all the nannies. Indeed. By the way, she's not, but that's a subject for another
0: podcast.
1: (laughs) Metal Nanny. (laughs) It's my new Norwegian death metal band name.
0: (laughs) So this is an awesome chapter.
1: Suckle on my metal teat.
0: (laughs) It's always got to come back to teats, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) No, not all. Well, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Right. So my first note in this chapter is... Renarin is losing his ever-loving mind. He is. He's banging things on the wall. Apparently, the thing he's been holding in his hand all this time is like a ticker,
0: like a countdown ticker. Mm-hmm. Like So, he. we also see him grabbing a rock and writing a series of zeros on the wall. We do, yeah. Writing the final number of the countdown.
1: So, it's been Renarin... All All this this time.
0: time.
1: He was at the deli counter for too long. (laughs) Too many people were there to get their sliced turkey breast before him. Now serving, 72.
0: So what Renarin says as he's spazzing out, he says, I can see it. I can see the future itself. Why? Why, almighty, why have you cursed me so? Now, all throughout these books... It's been reinforced over and over, this taboo uh, against seeing the future. And even even predicting the weather patterns is kind of a borderline unethical thing to do because seeing the future is something that is of odium, right? Yeah, yeah. It's of mm-hmm. the bad. it's it's definitely the dark side over there. So that's a very interesting thing for Renarin to say. And, you know, the fact that he is not wearing his spectacles is... It's an interesting that's just an, an interesting bit of symbolism there. That he right. can see the future. He doesn't want to.
1: Ah. I feel nice. like I'm putting too much out there. I'm nice. too excited.
0: I'm I'm holding it back. I'm trying to hold it back.
1: I feel particularly dense this section. So I've needed you to come in and make okay. these observations. All right. Okay. So now let's get down to to the rest of the- Right. Uh, of the chapter, and what's really important, which is is the, f- the fight between Seth, Adolin, and Dalinar, mm-hmm. where they're going back and forth just trying to survive the fight with Seth. Right. Bridge Forest, you know, standing kind of formations around them, and then, you know, at the point where this is all gonna go south and Dalinar is absolutely going to get killed. hmm Uh, Royan comes in, who has been called cowardly by everybody except for Dalinar. Yeah. And sacrifices himself because somebody who's not wearing a red shirt has to die in this book.
0: Right. And and the way that Seth kills Royan is to lash him to the sky, basically. Yeah. And then when the stormlight holding him up there runs out, he's...
1: He falls. He's yeah. jelly. Yeah.
0: So that's also an, an just an interesting way for us to see what's going to happen when he sends Dalinar. You know, right afterwards, he is able to send Dalinar up to the sky mm, and you're like, oh, the shit, there he goes. Yep, yep. What's going to happen now?
1: What's going to happen now? But what's going to happen is he's going to float down like a feather. And at first when that happened, I was like.
0: And Mary Poppins.
1: Like, funny, that's not where my head <laughs> <I'm> went. <sorry. laughs> i at First, I thought where it was going was that Dalinar had
0: mm, uncovered some
1: sort right. of power. But but no, that's not what happened. What happened was Kaladin in. Twenty minutes flew the distance mm-hmm. that it took the entire army sixteen days to march. Mm-hmm. He Game of Thrones his ass out to the center. He
0: little finger jet
1: He little finger jet backed his way.
0: But I mean, here's the thing: if you are a surge binder, um, who is able to ride a high storm that recharges your gemstones for you. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't you just keep lashing yourself?
1: oh no, i don't I don't the have, way on yeah, top. I don't have a problem with what he did right There's also no guarantee that the timelines you know were
0: who knows when he left, yeah, yeah,
1: who knows? he could have left you know a day ago for right. all, all we know just because the it was laid out that way doesn't mean that's actually how it happened chronologically, so it's not really a it's not really something to nitpick it, right. But it is a a snide comment to make. And so I'll make it. (laughs) (laughs) So so this is uh, where we talked about the idea of like what I did predict versus what I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. So I did predict that Dalinar would find that he would attempt to eventually save Elikar and that he would find the words in in doing so. Right. And so that is what happened. Still enjoyable. To read, but that was what I predicted that is what happened. I did not think that he would then turn around and fly out to save the day. I also because I also didn't expect Seth to show up either. So
0: right. And you know when Dalinar's flying up through the sky, Kaladin catches him. You know he thinks, I asked this motherfucker if he had magic powers. <laughs> I him to his face
1: <laughs> you lying sack of shit you <laughs> lying sack of stormlight
0: <laughs> son of a bitch listen but it's, it's, if we
1: don't have honesty we have nothing
0: it is this is just an amazing bit of imagery though you know Kaladin comes down like a falling star and just Psh! and he's like you know <laughs> you sent him to the sky assassin But I claim the skies.
1: The skies are mine. That's pretty cool. And now I claim your life. And that's it. And we have no idea what happens. But just a few more chapters to go and we will find out. Right. So are you ready for listener interactions? Yes. All right. So our first interaction comes from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. What? Who is at that hippie Jesus on Twitter? Ah. Who says <laughs> who would win in a three-way throwdown between, Quoth, Harry Potter and Quentin Coldwater?
0: I'm just thinking that's a pretty good merry bike ride, Cliff. Too. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I don't mean Quentin, know loses Quentin loses for Coldwater's. just being a. A horrible snivelling pussy. Sorry.
1: Who is Quentin Coldwater? Quentin
0: Coldwater is a character in um the series Love Grossman's The Magicians.
1: Ah, okay. And
0: he's just the worst. He's just absolutely the worst. Come at me, Quentin Coldwater fans. (laughs) But he's the worst. No, I would say Quoth would win because Harry is like a child. I guess adult Harry might have something on him, but um no, I think Quoth has the the willingness to, you know, use a dead body as a as a yeah link for sympathy. Like, yeah, Qu- I think he would take Harry Potter Quoth
1: out. Quoth is kind of the ultimate clutch player. Right. Yeah. Like I mean he's a he's a badass on a normal day. I don't know that he's like stare down Voldemort on a normal day. But when the chips are down and shit has to get done, you know, Quoth leads the winning drive. Like yeah. He finds a way and he will do any dark ass dastardly shit he has to do to find a way. Yep. And I think that's the difference between him and Harry Potter. Yep. His morals are he's much more willing to do something gray. All right. So we have a few other comments here. What are your opinions, says Eric Algayer, on the profundity of Kaladin's second set of words?
0: I mean, we talked about the words a little bit. We
1: did. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I, I, I think they're pretty cool. Um, I, Again, I just think it's cool how the different orders advance in different ways. You know, and um, it seems like for Kaladin... This and I think again, it speaks to how as humans we all have our own process, and to see that truth played out in like a magic system, I think that's really neat. You know, for Shalan and the way the her order, the process is she doesn't have to find more words, um, she needs to be willing to reveal truths about herself, and so that's that's her process that she needs to progress in her abilities, but also as a a human to, you know, be more at peace with herself. That's what she needs, too. So I just think that's kind of cool and how we all have our own process to be the best version of ourselves. You know, for the Windrunners, they need to keep finding words and making commitments. And for Kaladin, this was something he needed in his process as well as being like.
1: Boy, did he need it.
0: Right. (laughs) So I, I like that part of the book.
1: I was getting the words blue balls. The whole time.
0: Words, blue balls. Right? I don't think
1: that's what Brandon Sanderson <laughs> intended. So Eric also says, What would you do if you could attain great powers by speaking and meaning the words? And then he quotes, I will protect everyone, even douchebags like my neighbor Tom, whose unraked leaves blow over onto my lawn every fall. <laughs> and Katrina Knudsen says, I will protect everyone. Even Carol, who Dave and I suspect is actually the office lunch thief. I hope my yogurt from last Friday was delicious, Carol.
0: <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty cool.
1: It would be pretty cool. It would be.
0: Mm-hmm. Eric Allgaier also says, Who or what is deciding what these words should be? A god? A superspren? Some cosmic power that we'll never learn about in this series?
1: Well, Yeah, I guess that's kind of where, like, my brain was going to on the words where i was kind of wondering what what are the mechanisms of this
0: well you know? so when we saw kaladin say his words um we hear sil talk to the storm father or whoever mm-hmm. sky sky daddy was sky voice whatever <laughs> and
1: sky daddy gonna buy me a new
0: car and she says um she says you know sky daddy's like no I'm done with this, all this crap. We're not doing this anymore. And I, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. <laughs> and, and Sill's like, nope, he said the words. And then the Stormfather says, all right, those words are accepted. Fine. <laughs> so at least as far as the Windrunners, the Stormfather is accepting the words. And we know that for the Windrunners... The wind at least is integral to their powers. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because how many times throughout the story in Kaladin's sections does he talk about being away from the wind and how the weeping yeah, yeah. is the worst part because there's no wind. And even when he's about to fight Moash, he's like, Well, this is a terrible place to die, away from the wind.
1: But wind makes fishing a pain in the ass. It does. That's why none of these people are good fishermen. It's why exactly. they have to eat
0: Tavis flower or whatever mm-hmm. the hell.
1: Brian McClure says, just how unhelp is the Stormfather?
0: He is unhelp. He is. I think we've talked about that. Definitely unhelp. I'm sorry, you have to die this way. I'll send
1: a storm (laughs) to wash your bodies away. There you go. (laughs) So you're not stinking up the joint.
0: (laughs) Eric Algar says, any thoughts on Tinkerbell coming back to life? Does it seem to you like the only characters Branderson is willing to kill off, apart from Yasna, are red shirts... Like Shallan's boatman or members of Bridge Four that get mentioned just once. Does this support the theory that Yasna will also eventually return, or is the author throwing us another red herring? You know, I think it's like in soccer slash European football. Okay. Look, it's a long All right, game. Uh,
1: you're you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to take me there.
0: <laughs> okay, it's a long game. And you're only going to probably see like three points scored.
1: So you just have to
0: go into it knowing that, okay? It's a 10,000-page long series. You're not, you're not going to have main character deaths every 1,000 pages or so.
1: Well, Brandon Sanderson is not like George R.R. Martin, where he can put 3,000 characters in a book and, and just kill 2,000 of them. Exactly. Like
0: just, You just got to go into it. No, I mean, you go into like European football or as the rest of the world calls it, football, and expect to get to see, you know, 27 points scored because you're expecting American football, you're going to be disappointed.
1: But that's why American football is better. Come on. I mean, we're all in agreement here, right?
0: Are we, listeners? (laughs) Are we in agreement?
1: (sighs) I suspect there will be opinions.
0: I suspect there will be.
1: Eric says, finally, did anybody think for a second that Galladin wouldn't appear out of the sky and onto the shattered planes to save the day at the last second? Like something else that's a spoiler?
0: Okay. Infinity War, I don't think that counts as spoilers anymore. That movie was out a couple years ago. I haven't seen it. Uh, That is a, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) I also don't care if it's spoiled, so that's okay. Uh, That
0: is exactly the scene I thought of, though. Is it? Yeah.
1: You know, I didn't. I did not see that coming, but I should have.
0: I'm sorry. I just saw Theo's uh, Batman gif. My turn. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Theo Graham Brown says, are you concerned about Elicar? With Kaladin here, there's no one to stop a shard bearer back where the king is. I mean, they did the six fingered man turn and run. I don't think they're coming back.
1: Also, I think Kaladin will be back there in approximately seven minutes. Right. We've just.
0: Six if he gets all green lights.
1: <laughs> I mean, we've really just, you know, we've taken the mechanics of travel out of the book now. We've <laughs> yeah. just. That was annoying. Now we don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> Places, just like Shard Blades, a place is going to become lousy with wind runners.
0: <laughs> Theo says, I'm expecting there will have been some chat about Graves, but just want to make sure you guys covered everything because for me, it feels like there are now discrepancies in how it all unfolded. Now we know Graves is working for Taravangian and therefore knows that Dalinar is the main target. Everything he claimed to Kaladin is clearly a lie. The idea of putting Dalinar in Alethkar's place for the good of Alethkar, right. So do you think the rest of the group knew this or they actually Patriots particularly did Moash?"
1: Well, I definitely don't think that Moash knew that that wasn't really what they were trying to do. Right. Now, they used Moash, and they used Moash's elevated emotions. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm lacking the words here, but his passion about this issue, they leveraged it mm-hmm. to be able to divert Kaladin. Again, it, it was about diverting Kaladin and— Creating that wedge there, driving a wedge between Dalinar and Kaladin, because what would happen to the relationship between Kaladin and Dalinar if Kaladin killed his nephew?
0: hmm. Right.
1: So that's kind of the way I see it. Also, I don't know that we can say for certain that Graves is working for Taravangian, but that certainly is what it looks like.
0: Well, and they also may have just wanted to separate Kaladin and Dalinar because Kaladin is the captain of Dalinar's bodyguard. That, and they yeah. wanted to kill him.
1: Yeah, good point. Which, by the way, they managed to do. Well, Kaladin kind of managed to do it to himself, but... Right. Theo also says, Grave seems to know all about Kaladin, even if Moash told him everything do you agree that it seems like the diagram must have said something about him as he seems to surmise more than Moash could understand?
0: It's hard to surmise just from Graves his few like comments. A, a, yeah,
1: a sentence or two he sort of throws in there. I do suspect, I feel like in the Teravangian chapter, Teravangian might have been coming around to the concept of there was that there was a a bridgeman who survived a high storm and look out for him. Mm-hmm. So I suspect, yeah, they they probably did know about Kaladin.
0: Right, and again, we don't know how independent the cells of the diagram are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Shattered Plains is pretty far from Carbranth, so we just don't know how much information is going back and forth. We can assume that they all understand the general goals surrounding people who might become Knights Radiant, you know, so... It, it might not be that there was specific information about Kaladin, but that they know what to watch for.
1: Correct. Yeah, exactly. It may not have been Kaladin specifically, but that somebody would be like this. And again, Kaladin is the head of Dalinar's guard.
0: Theo says, Graves implies that they're killing Dalinar separated from Kaladin to prevent Kaladin becoming a Radiant. For me, this sounds like a plan laid out by the diagram, but the diagram existed before Seth's failed previous attack that involved meeting Kaladin and also threatened to make him realize he wasn't truthless. So, is this a plot hole, or do we take this to mean the diagram is reinterpreted as new information comes to light?
1: I, I think it. I think it is spelled out in the Taravangian chapter that that they are constantly have to, having to reinterpret it. Yeah, and, and I think we've also stated uh, that we believe that uh, Taravangian and the diagram are completely deluded. Right. Like, you can't trust a guy with a murder hospital. Right. So, yeah, we definitely don't, or I definitely don't think that this is some sort of, you know, ironclad prophecy that we can trust to any degree at all. So Theo also says, Graves seems to have decided killing the king by shard blade and blaming Seth is a good plan. I don't disagree. And in fact, I'm wondering why all the faffing about with apparent accidents prior to this, particularly when he's in contact with the man in charge of Seth. I'm left hoping Sanderson will find a way to explain this. So that that is a, a decent point that why, if if this was about killing Alicar and you could do it with a shard blade and just blame Seth, and why not have done it already? But again, I think we speculate that it's not necessarily ever really been about killing Elicar.
0: Right. I, I mean, I think it's about Taravangian taking over power, and really, Elicar is secondary to that. The person that he really needs to get rid of is Dalinar. But I think we need to remember how. And I'm not quite sure how it lines up, but when Taravangian hasn't always been in control of Seth, Seth has been bouncing around, like working in pubs as bouncers.
1: Yeah, that's a relatively recent thing. He
0: he may not have even returned to the assassin business at the point where Graves was making his plans.
1: Well, I do think that we found out that Taravangian and that Taravangian had Seth's oathstone prior to learning about graves and the assassination attempt. But we don't know when it was, so we learn about it in that order, but we don't know when that was set in motion. Right. But again, I just I think the greater point is that it seems to me that Elicar, dead or alive is not the not really the important thing that they were trying to get at especially you know and it also kind of reminds me of of an issue I've had with Kaladin this whole time of why do you want to kill Elikar so that Dalinar can be in charge Dalinar's basically in charge now anyway You're not really changing that much
0: Right it's all it's all pretty messed up
1: Susan King says uh, Shallana's found the Oathgate so to my way of thinking, a gate opens up and leads to somewhere, or it lets someone in. What good does it do for them to go somewhere else? Or who is it that's coming through? If it's to go to another place on Roshar, I can see that helping, uh, but I'm just not sure how it helps.
0: Well, I think at this point they are in a place where they're all screwed if they don't get out of there. They've got this ever storm blowing one way, high storm blowing the other way it's going to meet right over their heads and definitely 100% kill them all, unless they can get somewhere else.
1: Although it does, and that was my prediction as well, that they're going to march out there. I mean, that's exactly what the Parshendi wanted them to do, march out there so far that there's no way you can get back prior to there being a high storm. Then, even if they don't manage to summons a high storm, There's no way the Alethi can make it back. The only way the Alethi managed to make it back is if they pass through the Oath Gate and go somewhere else. Now, because they can't be on the Shattered Plains during a high storm. Now, it did cross my mind when they got into that space that if they're indoors, then the high storm doesn't really matter. But more to the point, it was like a 16-day march or something crazy. Mm -hmm. So even if they did manage to survive the initial storm, they wouldn't be able to make it back to the war camps without another storm. But then also we hear about this thing called the Everstorm, which I don't know but it sounds to me like it maybe never stops. Like, right. So so once that storm starts, there's no way for them to get home if they don't walk out through some sort of magical portal. What I think is interesting is going to be, where do they end up? Mm-hmm. Because if they end up in... Uh, that tower where we found Seth just hanging out, kicking his feet over the
0: edge—that's
1: mm-hmm. like seven thousand miles away. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's fascinating as to where are they going to end up if right. that's what happens. Right. So we'll, you know, and and what does that look like when a, an Alethi army shows up in the middle <laughs> of some other kingdom? You know, and, and what does that say? So I don't know, we'll we'll find out more about it, but um but I do think the point of letting something in is a good point because mm-hmm. we're presuming that this is how it's gonna happen, but mm-hmm. we don't know. Yeah. It could very well be that that's what we expect, but when they actually open that gate could be something completely different that mm-hmm. happens. So we'll just have to find out. Theogram Brown says supplemental question one.
0: Oh, is that so he won't get his chops busted about asking too many questions?
1: So, what's with Renarin? Genuinely, I don't know, but he clearly has something connecting him to the storm. See, that's what I said. Mm-hmm. And it seems like touching the shard blade is very upsetting to him. Mm-hmm. So, I think he is one of a different type of Knights Radiant mm-hmm. than just the other ones. And I think mm-hmm. he's going to. There's a reason why predicting the future has been this taboo subject. Right. Just like there's a lot of conflicting things about radiance and, you know, whether or not it's a good thing, you know, for people to have those kinds of powers. I think it's clear that Renarin's going to end up being some kind of radiant that can predict the future. Mm -hmm. He's the at Haderach.
0: He might be. Uh, Theo also says supplemental question too. do you think Seth can be redeemed or is he impossibly mad because it seems like if Kaladin proves his powers are that of a radiant knight and not from an honor blade then Seth is not truthless and technically he should be an ally of sorts so is Seth gonna work through his issues and realize oh hey I'm not truthless maybe I can like actually fight the Voidbringers."
1: I mean, I'm trying to look at Seth and like the amount of damage that's been done to him. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think, well, that's a long road to go. But I feel like that's a Brandon Sanderson thing to do. And we have a lot of books left to go. So I'm going to hope that that is where we're going. Right. Theo says, supplemental question number three. Any thoughts on who or what Seth saw? Clearly, he saw something and... Made him claim the Knights radiant had returned. he was told he could only be lying, but we know it wasn't wrong, so what did he see? It had to be enough that he would be convinced. It's so hard to guess at what it was. I think it would be foolish of us to think that Shalon and Calleddin are the only knights radiant, or that Calleddin was the first, just because we-he was the first one that we saw. Doesn't mean he was the first one. We had the shoemaker who was bonded to a spren in some place, you know, further out east or further out west. And also, Seth originated from somebody someplace further out west. So it could very well be that the Alethi walk through this gate, end up 7,000 miles away, and there are nights radiance there waiting for them.
0: There's also a very interesting part of the diagram. That was revealed in one of the Snapters where Taravangian talks about using a Truthless, making a weapon out of a Truthless.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So it just makes me wonder if they, if the diagram was behind making Seth think the Knights were, I mean, if they were behind his whole journey.
1: Yeah, could be. Yeah. I mean, he did find his way to Taravangian. Yeah.
0: Mm hmm. So here it is, actually, from the diagram, floorboard 17, paragraph 2. Ah, but they were left behind. It is obvious from the nature of the bond. But where, 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 set off obvious realization. They are with the shin. We must find one. Can we make use of truthless? Can we craft a weapon?
1: They could have just stayed something.
0: Don't know, but it's interesting question.
1: A dude, a dude in the dark, in a dark room with a blue flashlight behind him.
0: Oh, that would be so sad. Katrina Knutson says, "Let's have a king off. Who do you love to hate more, Ellicar or King George III, as portrayed in Hamilton the Musical?" Ellicar. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think I love to hate Ellicar. Yeah, more. King George is very charming, though, in that musical. I, I love
1: King George in that musical. Also, we don't have to spend nearly as much time with him. Exactly. Although I do think Elecar is coming around. I think Ellicar will come
0: around. Brian McClure says, "Best quote for this section." I, I mean, you want to say it's the, the absolute, you know, the, the sort of classic quote, uh, Sanderson quote at the end of the last chapter, where Callan says, "You sent him to the sky, assassin."
1: But the sky is mine to command.
0: But for me, it's the part, honestly. Drive forward. The part where he is talking to Elicar and he says, fleet kept running. And I, I just love that part.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed that part. I was going to say the line from Navani where she was like, well, then imagine me. <laughs> right. That was a great Imagine command yeah. 10,
0: then. <laughs> Brian McClure also says, what exactly is the Stormfather? We definitely talked a bit about that, and I think I may have
1: so when when moisture is on the ground and mm-hmm. it gets absorbed upward into the sky, uh, it sometimes will bring up dirt and things and dust particles with it so I don't know I'm just being a smart ass <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I feel like I, I I may have given away too much and not let you figure out the storm father stuff on your own, but
1: no, I think I needed a helping hand. You didn't spoil anything. It was all there for me to right. say. Brian also asked, what are your thoughts on Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3? But alas, as I learned from the last episode,
0: Some people I will haven't refrain watched it yet.
1: from putting Game of Thrones spoilers in here.
0: <laughs> Elisa Dehan, and I hope I said your name right. If I didn't, I'm sorry. She says, will Shalon figure out that she has to open the door by becoming a night Radiant? Will the fight between Kaladin and Seth be the most epic ever? What's wrong with Renarin? Not needing his glasses for a long time, like Shallan pointed out, and those weird visions? Will the Tempest kill everyone? All those cliffhangers. Can't wait to go on with the story and listen to your thoughts on this week's chapters. So
1: the thing about Shallan and being a Knight's Radiant is interesting because she thinks of herself as becoming a Knight's Radiant, but she does not think of herself as a Knight's Radiant.
0: Right, and Pattern has told her that she's not a Knight's Radiant yet.
1: But the difference between Kaladin and Shallan is that in Kaladin's case, he needs to find the words and proclaim these oaths out loud. Right. We don't really know what Shallan needs to do other than—
0: No, we kind of do.
1: Is it recognizing, the, accepting the truth of her situation? or Yeah,
0: and there have been a couple of times where Pattern has really been coaxing her to— to look at memories that she has locked away. And at that point that is what is keeping Shalon from progressing. But this
1: may not be an appropriate place to have daddy issues. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I do think that that's gotta be what happens. It's also interesting to me that book one was about Kaladin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we had the big, you know, Kaladin blows up at the end, kills everybody and Right. Arrows and all that craziness, right? We get into book two, which is supposed to be about Shalon, but to this point, it's still largely been about Kaladin, at least with all the you know all the magical stuff that's happened so far. Well, so I'm waiting for Shalon's kind of moment,
0: right? Right.
1: So yeah, I do suspect that's coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, where we've left Shalon is she and Renarin, you know, have now made it into the Oath Gate. They found a shard blade. Sized hole, and we didn't really talk about this because you the got hole. all into your innuendos. Hold it back, Dukes. <laughs> I'm trying to actually talk about the story for one se- <laughs> one minute. <laughs> Sit on your hands. So they found this shard blade sized hole. They put Renarin's shard blade in. Oh, Nothing yeah. happened. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So there's there's obviously something wrong with the shard blade Renaren is using there's something um, it's not being accepted by the oath gate for whatever reason
1: so maybe Shalon figures out the p- the pattern is the shard blade
0: well think about it what's different between Shalon's shard blade which by the way we've already noticed is different because it glows in the dark and she talks to it and it changes shape for her as she needs it to oh yeah that's true yeah which we've never seen any other shard blade in the book so she can make before. it to
1: exactly the shape she needs.
0: So what's different about her shard blades and the shard blades that were left behind by the Knight's Radiant?
1: Her shard blade is a spren.
0: Do you think the other ones were spren too, or?
1: Not the one that, like, Renarin has, no. I don't know, man. It's spaghetti.
0: It's all Spaghetti. What do you think is different about them?
1: Hers is patterned.
0: So, so what were the shard blades that the original Knights Radiant had?
1: They were also their bonded spren.
0: And what are they now?
1: Then, what what do you mean the shard blades that like Renarin and Adolin have? Yeah, they're shard blades that don't have a spren attached to them. You're looking at me like like Miss Harrison in fourth grade. (laughs) And what do we know about the Spanish conquistadors? <laughs> that they were from Spain. <laughs>
0: stuff.
1: And they conquered stuff? <laughs> what are you trying to get
0: at, man? I'm done. Why are I'm you done. asking me? You clearly know the answer. Like... I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't get it, man. Okay. All right. Jen Nagel says, what do we think about the secret factions at play in the world these days? How many are we up to at this point? Then she also says, I got a little impatient during the break and accidentally reread Oathbringer.
1: (laughs) That's a little bit of reading ahead. (laughs) A little ways ahead. So, I mean, we we have the ghost bloods. We have the diagram people. We have Amaram, who's clearly motivated by something else. Uh, but Amaram is tied in with one of the other high princes mm-hmm. who i can't remember one of the ones that um the gavilar mentioned when mm-hmm. right before he died and then i feel like there's somebody else i'm missing that that uh gavilar mentioned we also have the we have the shin who they're not i mean they're a little bit different but right and then we have you know the the kind of the actors that the characters the main characters right that we know so but then there's also the um the guys who predict the storms which we haven't really gotten into but I still suspect are going to be a major part the storm wardens storm wardens i think they're going to be a major part of the story before we get to book 5
0: mm-hmm. a lot of factions a lot, a lot of, of factions ends, lot, of outs.
1: A lot of strands in the old dude's head
0: yep all right, predictions. I, All I don't ha- leading questions aside, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm too excited.
1: I don't I have, have to wait until we're done. Oh, I God. don't have as many predictions here. Are you okay? Yes. You gonna make it? I'm fine. All right, so a prediction the first, Esh I's not dead. Okay. Uh, prediction the second, no major characters are gonna die. Okay. Ever.
0: <clears throat> okay. Wow.
1: <laughs> well, not in this book. Uh, and then my last one, which is Renarna's is the Quizet Haderach. I like it. He's clearly some sort of Radiant who can predict the future. Mm-hmm. The most dangerous of all the Radiants. That's it, man. That's all. I, that's all it got. I like it. You can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast dot com. That oh, is that's our, it. It's over. Yeah.
0: Sorry. Go ahead.
1: I mean, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> You can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess or on our Facebook group page at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the DND group. You can find us on Twitter at the DND podcast and on all of our other social media, Goodreads, Reddit, uh, Instagram at the Duke and Duchess podcast. That's the way to find us. You can also find us on May 25th at Balticon 53.
0: Balticon!
1: Come on down. Hang out.
0: 7 p.m. We'll be there.
1: We will be there.
0: So we'll be there talking about other things throughout the day. Um, I think we posted the schedule on the group page, but we can do it again if anyone's interested. We will be on panels discussing Game of Thrones, Avengers Endgame, and other various exciting Assorted topics. things.
1: All right, good night, everybody.
0: Good night. I'm going to try and freeze Chad's underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's something only girls do at sleepovers. Uh, Put uh, each other's bras in the freezer.
1: I have a, I think, hilarious story. Yes. About that.
0: Lay it on me.
1: So, somebody that I went to high school with, who you know because you went to college with them, whose name I will not say on the podcast got
0: hammered
1: at a party. Already this
0: is different from the sleepovers that I had in middle school. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, this is high school. Okay. Technically it's...
0: Even so, yes. Technically
1: it's post-high school. Okay. Like two weeks post-high school, but, and... Was it last month? It was last month. (laughs) And... (laughs) He, he got uh, really, really inebriated, and we thought it would be a good idea. It was not a good idea, but we thought it would be a funny idea to put him on a raft and float him out into the local junk pond behind the apartment complex.
0: What is wrong with you? It's terrible.
1: And somewhere in that process, and I do not know where or how, I don't recall being involved in it, his pants were removed. <laughs> I don't know how that part happened, but it was definitely my idea to soak the pants in water, keys and wallet in the pockets and put it in the freezer.
0: So you did freeze each other's clothing.
1: Yeah, one time, but it was pretty epic <laughs> because when he woke up with no pants on in the middle of a pond and all he wanted to do was go home He had to wait to defrost defrost his pants before he could drive his car home. (laughs) I may have been a bit of a jackass in (laughs) uh, in high school.
0: You were a real Chad, is what you're saying. Uh,
1: Yeah, I, I earned it.
0: I earned it.